Do you ever find it hard to be the spiritual one? <clears throat> Do you ever find it challenging to be amidst people that maybe don't believe and you're the one that does believe? You're the follower of God. You're the holy one. You're the spiritual one. What makes it even harder is when you are the spiritual one, the follower after God, and inside you are having a really hard time and you are really struggling with everything about your faith. Have you ever felt dry, dusty? Everyone else looks at you and believes that your life is all together but you're not too sure if you're going to be able to make it to the next day. You, you want to hear from God, and you say you hear from God. You, you go to church, you do the worship, you try to pray, but everything seems to be falling on deaf ears. And no matter what you do, no matter how you live, you still can't seem to break through that, and you just feel like your faith is a fraud. Now, I know you would never say that out loud. You would definitely never say that in chapel. But I have a feeling that some of you are like me. There are times when it's tough to be a spiritual leader and you don't feel very strong inside. You may have your own reasons. Maybe you've just kind of run out of spiritual energy. Uh, maybe you've been challenged in some of the things that you're learning that has caused you to question what it is you believe. Maybe you're just sick of seeing how everyone else gets to do anything that they want to do, but you can't because you're the good one. You have your reasons, I have mine. Because there was a time in my life that I was not doing very good. And I was struggling. God had told me that I was his. God had promised me his word in my life. And then God asked me to do something I did not want to do. So I laced up my spiritual Adidas and I ran. And I ran and I ran and I ran. And it's tough because... I personally hate running. <laughs> Not only do I hate running physically, but of course, like you, I also hate running spiritually, but I didn't know what else to do. God told me to go that way. So I went that way. Yes, people look to me to spiritual advice. People look to me to hear God's word and relay it to them, but I just couldn't. Again, I had my reasons. You might be able to guess them, but maybe you won't. But hopefully in them, you're going to start seeing more of a picture of yourself, who you are. That all of us have been at a point when we have been on empty. And though everyone around us looks at us and sees spiritual greatness inside all you have is a desert. You have dry land in your body. 
and you are a spiritual fraud. This is where I found myself on that boat, running from God, and I know, I know you can't really run from God. I get that, I understand that, but it doesn't stop us from trying, right? And there I was in that boat, in that storm, knowing that it was all my fault. Everyone else knew it was my fault. An honorable man would have just simply jumped over the side of the boat, right? I couldn't even do that. I had to ask other people to throw me into the water. Because I was still clinging to my pride. I was still clinging to, to what I thought was true. I was holding on to everything that was wrong because I wanted to be right. But I knew I wasn't. So they picked me up and threw me overboard. And then, you ever had it happen in your life when what's happening to you in the physical realm is the same thing that's happening to you in the spiritual realm? You know, when chaos is swirling about you and you don't know how you're going to get through the next couple of days. Maybe it's because of papers you have to write or maybe it's because you're stuck in uh, Dr. Schulteis's class. Pick which Schulteis you want. Either one is hard. And, and your roommates are just so annoying and they keep breaking dorm hours. And you just don't know. Life is just out of control and it's mimicking what's happening in your heart because you're trying to live the spiritual life but everything is falling apart. And it's almost like the waters are creeping up and, and they're starting off in your, your waist and you're treading water and you think this is going to be okay but soon wave after wave after wave hits you over and over and over again. Again, you know, it's your fault. You've set yourself up. You've done this. You've run. You've ran. God hasn't abandoned you. You've abandoned God and soon all of a sudden you're tiring out and the waters are coming up a little bit higher and you're trying to tread and soon it's getting up and you start to panic and you think to yourself, I thought I wanted to die, but now I don't. I don't want to die. And so you start scrambling, but the next thing you know, you have no more strength. So you give up. And as you take your final gulp of air knowing it's not going to last that long your body starts sinking and as you look up those waves that were drowning you just a moment ago seem to somehow be calm but you can't reach that anymore and you sink and you sink and you sink the last thought on your mind. God, save me. We don't know, in terms of Jonah, some of the um, story gets a little muddled and messy uh, in this because uh, we get these kind of rapid-fire things of, oh, he's thrown over the boat. Uh, 
all of a sudden there's a big giant fish, it swallows him, and then we get this strange uh, transition from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And of course, my first question is, well, like when? Like, was it like right away, like he was sinking down and then a fish came and swallowed him and then right then and there he prayed? I'm going to tell you, and what I'm going to say is not without controversy, uh, simply because people on all sorts of different theological uh, ideals of what is being said in Jonah will come to different conclusions, but they're not like strange conclusions. They all seem to be uh, fitting the narrative, but there's not one theory that fits it perfectly. But I'm going to give you, I think, my best stab at it. My theory is Jonah died. My theory is that as he was sinking deeper and deeper into that sea, as his life was ebbing away, as he was trying to uh, grasp at the last bit of life, I think he died. I can't prove it. But I think there's good evidence. And then I think the fish came along, swallowed him. I believe that he was revived in the fish. And it was then, while he was all scooshed up in the stomach lining with other food particles rotting around him, maybe Pinocchio's in there too, (laughs) he realizes, I'm alive. This is the reason why I say this, because chapter 2 is a turning point in Jonah. It really is. It's a turning point where uh, Jonah um, moves from becoming the rebellious prophet to the reluctant prophet. And it all happens because of of this, some would say near-death experience, but I would say it was a death experience. Listen to what it says. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. That seems to be the overarching thing, and then he's going to get into some of the specifics. Yeah, I probably should have told you, if you want to turn to Jonah and read along, it's, you know, make sure I'm not lying, because, you know, pastors do that sometimes. Um, You hurled me into the deep and the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. So this is bad for Jonah. Uh, All your waves and breakers swept over me. So you get the idea. Again, I wish I knew exactly when did the sea go calm. Was it something like VeggieTales had done where they toss him in the ocean and right when Jonah hits the water, all of a sudden everything's calm? I I don't know. It sounds as if... The waves are still hitting Jonah. And again, is Jonah speaking metaphorically, spiritually, or is he speaking that this is what literally happened and it's matching what's happening also in his life? And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. This is no shallow uh, pool where kids with floaties can feel safe and secure. This is 47 meters down, so to speak. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. 
To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. You get what Jonah's saying? He did. I don't think that he was treading water, big fish come swallow. I think Jonah sank because sometimes that's what has to happen. The dry, dusty, uh, deserting person of God sometimes needs to die so that it can come back to life as something new. And, and I'm not talking here about just a salvation moment. I'm talking about how we often have to die daily because we cling and hold on to things that are just not good for us. And it's again, it's so hard as people of God because we may be looked upon as a leader, a spiritual uh, mentor to other people, but inside we're hurting and we're, we're struggling and we're dying and we're drowning. And then Jonah says, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. He he had finally given up. Isn't that a great, encouraging message for you today? I encourage you today, you need to give up. What you're clinging to is not worth it. What's drawing you away from God is not worth it. What's drowning you inside is not worth it. When everything is starting to go chaotically around you and everything seems to be going away, that's when we stop and we say, God, I remember you. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Again, he's going to hint at it. I think, I think what Jonah is saying is very... Martin Luther-esque, uh, God, save me and I will follow after you. I make a vow, I promise I'll do this. And he is reminded that those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And he realizes everything that he was clinging to was all the wrong things and he wasn't holding on to God. even though God was holding on to him. And then, in a stroke of literary genius that uh, would rival any literary work out there, in the exact center of the book comes this passage. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Though I don't think we're in the habit of trying to encourage people to make these types of rash vows, Jonah did because uh, what he was about to go through. And then in a very interesting twist, the Lord commands the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. That's a very interesting phrase, dry ground. Jonah's already Uh, used it twice in the thing because he says that God is the God of yam, right? The other veggie. 
Yes, you have to laugh at it again. You laughed at it last week. You got to laugh at it again. And he's also the land, not, uh, the God, not just of the Arabs, but this is of a specific type of land, a dry land. This is the same land that the sailors were like, we are digging our oars in trying to get to dry land. And now all of a sudden God says, I'll get you to dry land. Maybe not in the way you want, but in a stomach cavity of a very large aquatic animal. This is maybe where you find yourself. Sometimes I think we need to let go. Because God, in this incredible time, in the cosmic rickrolling of your life, he will never give you up. You might think that after that time, I followed God perfectly, but I confess. Much like you, when spiritual renewal comes into my life, it was not perfect. It was not exactly right. I just moved from being rebellious to reluctant. So you may find yourself finally remembering God and remembering what he has done in your life, that salvation comes only through him, do not expect for one moment that your life will be perfect, for mine wasn't. But praise God, for salvation comes from him.